For me, fashion is a verb. So it's to fashion. My name's Claire Press, and I'm Vogue Australia's sustainability editor. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis. I just think it's curiosity at the core of it. Like, I just really want to know the answer to things. You talk about revolution in 68. No, we make the revolution before. Can we just go back to making really beautiful clothes with a soul and minimize the waste and think a little before we, we make things and bring back the value? Provided you wake up every morning and you're aware of the fact that your wardrobe is in the fashion supply chain, then you're a fashion decision maker. Join me every week as we talk ethics, sustainability and the business and madness of fashion. From who made your clothes to how they impact on the environment to the politics of personal style. This week on the podcast, we have our youngest ever guest. <laughs> very, very young indeed, like two and a half months. She is, of course, joined by her mama. I remember when I first saw Arizona Muse's incredible pictures in Vogue. It was 2011 and she was the new face of Prada. This was a bit after I left my old Vogue job as features director, but I still remember her image being everywhere all of a sudden. That year she did covers for French, Australian and Russian Vogues, and then it was Vogue Greece and British Vogue and, you know, in the end she was on them all. She covered Numero, ID, Self Service, Porter, she did campaigns for Saint Laurent and Mumu, and you'll still see her incredibly gorgeous visage in campaigns and on magazine covers and recently at the Met Gala. But back then, she was a young mama and a single parent. Her son, Nico, was born in 2009, and it was like not even two years after she'd been signed to Next Models, back when she was still a high school student in Santa Fe. Fast forward, and Arizona Muse calls London home. Everything's changed. She's in love with a French osteopath, Boniface Vernet Caron. They got married in 2017. The bride wore custom-made Alice Templey and a borrowed Chopard choker from that jewellery house's green carpet collection. Lucky duck being able to borrow great jewels. Anyway, they've got a new baby. So Nico has a beautiful sister. Her name is Sai, and she is the one who cameos in this interview. But Arizona also has a new career and passion in sustainability. Over the European winter, I felt like everywhere I went talking about sustainable fashion, Arizona was there too. I love her. She's like this warm, passionate, fascinating and fascinated woman who is obsessed with sustainability and on a mission to use her platform to help the industry that she loves transition into a more sustainable future. Sounds like me. I love doing that too. Obviously, we come at this from rather different perspectives, but Arizona has been working as an ambassador for the Sustainable Angle. If you haven't listened to that episode with their founder, Nina Morenzi, I urge you to, and we'll share a link. What else? So she also plans to set up a consultancy. But right now, what she's doing is just drinking in all of the information that she can get and just cramming all about sustainability and the issues around it. And when I went to her apartment, it's literally knee deep in books on regenerative farming and new materials and all of that stuff. Arizona is like this sponge just sucking up all the knowledge, which is why I called this episode an education. But this episode's more than about just books and grabbing all the knowledge. What it really is about is following your dreams, diving into new worlds and reinventing yourself. It's the story of a woman that we knew for one reason, 
her image, changing the conversation to focus outward. Arizona is a lovely person, but I also think she's very relatable because we can all get nervous talking about big issues, especially when we're very passionate about a topic because we really want to do it justice. But if you care about something, you just got to do it, haven't you? And you just got to jump in and defy expectations and give it a go and see what happens. It's all working out for Arizona because she's got a big brain as well as being a bit gorgeous. I'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more of her in sustainability circles. Not that she likes that word. <laughs> we had a bit of a Barney about that one. Arizona is none too sure about the word sustainability, including in the context of me being Vogue's sustainability editor. What do you reckon? She thinks that sustainable implies no or zero impact, so that it makes no sense to talk about sustainable fashion at all. Well, I get her point, but I reserve the right to see it from a rather different perspective. I reckon that word is a really useful umbrella term to cover all this stuff that we care about around fashion's impacts on people and planet. Anyway, love to know your thoughts. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as usual. I'm at Mrs. Press. What else? Well, oh, don't forget to hit subscribe if you're listening in iTunes. And please do consider rating and reviewing the show. It really helps other listeners to find us. Oh, and what did you think of our newsletter? Have you subscribed yet? I hope so. We're just about to send out the third one. It goes out on Thursdays. You can sign up for free via clairepress.com and get to hear all about the podcast and sustainable fashion news in your inbox every week. Now let's hear from Arizona. And Cy, <laughs> our pint-sized podcast guest, two and a half months old, with a lot to say. I can hear little sniffles and little... Little piglet noises. Oh. Little piglet noises from my baby girl. We are joined with Cy in your house. Yes, the baby child sitting in my lap, feeding, breastfeeding... So we can maybe hear her little sucking noises. Not really. She's so pretty and she's only very, very young. She's two and a half months. She's fallen asleep again. She has no idea what's going on. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about sustainability and motherhood, but we're going to get on to that. Arizona, welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's wonderful that you could come to me and sit here with me in my living room, which is my favorite place to be since I've had a baby. Yeah. We've actually been running into each other in the last few weeks because we, we met do. at Sustainable Angle. Oh, the Future Fabrics Expo, which was the eighth one that was amazing. It was huge. Over 3,000 people came, which was incredible to see the the real attention that our industry is now paying to sustainability and sustainable materials in particular. But then after that, we were both in Copenhagen during Copenhagen Fashion Week. We were sitting with the Global Fashion Agenda and Eva Cruz, the CEO of Global Fashion Agenda. And also Charlotte Esklinson. Charlotte Esklinson, yeah. Who is from Designers Remix, which is a fascinating yeah. brand, a Danish yeah. brand that looks at recyclable and circular materials. Exactly. And I've been wearing their suit that they very kindly gave me. Recycled wool? It was not recycled wool. It was recycled PET bottles. Oh, yeah. Really beautiful fabric. Not what we imagine normally when we think of recycled material, but really smooth, beautiful, like a beautiful replacement for a synthetic made into a suit that I've now worn one piece of almost every day since. 
Now, I raised that because as part of their presentation during Copenhagen Fashion Week, she staged a panel discussion. You were asked, why sustainability? And you said, and I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, it's the most fascinating subject I've ever come across. And fun and interesting. I am just so in love with the subject. It's really taken my life to a new level of experience and interest and brought so much into what I do and think about. Before we sat down, you said to me that you read everything and you've spent like the last four years really deep diving mm. into this. Yeah, I have. And it hasn't been a burden. It hasn't been depressive and it hasn't been too much. It's just this, it's kind of like my self-education. I didn't go to university because I was modeling And now I'm doing my own self-education through reading books, watching TED Talks and documentaries, reading articles online and listening to podcasts. But you're really looking into it. And that was very yeah. evident from the way that you speak about it. You're not just sort of dabbling around the edges looking at a few sustainable labels. You're reading mm. about biodynamic farming. You're Yeah, lots of things. What I learned from sustainability at the very beginning of this whole journey on it was that Fashion is a great place to start because I'm in the fashion industry. The industry knows me, I know the industry. And sustainability overlaps and interlinks with so many other industries like agriculture and like politics and like the economy, economy as a subject in general. So I've now learned about all of these sectors in a way that I would never have been able to study them before just from the lens of a model but now that I have this other lens that I look at life with the sustainability person don't know what to call myself yet <laughs> but this is it's just endless endless possibilities endless information and once you get into it then you get very much more astute at telling what is making sense and what is not because there are plenty of innovations that I hear about that because I've now been thinking about this for a long time, some innovations I realized, oh, no, that doesn't make sense. That's actually not going to be helpful. And Like what? So I'm not saying that this whole category doesn't work and isn't a good idea, but one that I'm really thinking hard about right now is the idea of taking DNA from a species and growing it on bacteria. How do I feel about that emotionally, spiritually? How do I feel about that? Is that okay to do that? Actually, I hadn't thought very deeply about this subject and the ethics of science behind some of the ways that we're looking at, for example, creating pigments or creating materials. But it was raised to me by Dillis Williams, who's been on this podcast, and we'll share a link when we were recently going around the V&A exhibition, Fashion mm -hmm. from Nature. Mm -hmm. And she's like, who owns it? Does the plant own it? Mm -hmm. Are you allowed to mess with it? What mm -hmm. does it mean? Mm. It's interesting. Have you heard about colorifics and what they're doing to look at how they can color from nature? Yes. Fascinating. Yeah, fascinating. So many things. I've seen the purple ones where the bacteria grows in a natural purple color and you can grow the bacteria on silk. It looks a bit tie-dye-like. It's Natsai Audrey Chiesa, who I just recently interviewed for a new book that I'm going to write, and she's using bacteria as a pigment, but there's mm. only one colorway at the moment. Yeah which is bluey-purple. Bluey-purple, right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are so many things. But it is actually very interesting, the ethics of messing with science or playing mm. God, if you like, because... Oh, hello! Oh, hello She's like, I'm worried about those ethics girl. too. Hello, baby one. I mean, if you want to think about things like potentially growing meat in a lab or growing mm. fur in a lab. Mm. Nutritionally, I think it's a big mistake to grow meat in a lab and expect humans to eat it as if it were like for like with a cow that's raised 
on a farm, eating grass, manuring the grass. There's a whole cycle within a cow that is pretty incredible. That so to disassociate we can't from mimic, the cycle. We can't mimic that. Mm. No well, we way. can. Oh, but we not can't. the whole thing, Mm-mm, just part of it. Not the whole thing. It will appear the same, but it doesn't have anything behind it. And also, I haven't tasted it myself, but I've heard from people who have tasted it, it tastes like nothing. <laughs> There's no flavor to it. It doesn't have the right color. There are a lot of problems with it as well. And I've felt this with other innovative fabrics, some of the silk lookalikes or silk like-for-likes are claimed to be. They don't feel like silk. Maybe they are as strong, but they don't feel like silk. It's not the same. Okay, I just want to dial this back. Why did you get so interested in this in the first place, Arizona? You've said like for the last four or five years. Yeah, I grew up in a household that was very conscious about food, especially not so much the environment, but definitely food. So I grew up with an awareness of what we put in our bodies is very important. Um, That was in in the 90s in, in Tucson, Arizona, and then in Santa Fe, New Mexico. In the 90s, which meant my parents substituted butter with margarine and we drank soy milk instead of milk. And that was what was presumed healthy at the time. Now we know soy is absolutely not the way to go. That is not going to cure anyone of anything. In fact, it may be making us very ill. So I don't eat soy at all anymore. But that's just an example of we were thinking about it. I grew up with this idea that we could learn about all these subjects. And your father was an art dealer, your mother. Yes. My mom is a therapist, a family, a psychologist. Latterly, but wasn't then, right? Wasn't then, no. She was a, a mom. She was a textile restorer when she was, oh, was before she, she had us. Mm, huh? Yeah, she worked at Hampton Court Palace restoring all no. the most amazing carpets. Yeah, so very good with color because she would have to dye, she would find exactly the right thread to restore the carpet, dye it exactly the right color to match. So she knows all about ancient dyeing techniques and really, really interesting. So in your, and I quote a interview from Porter magazine that Mm -hmm. described your childhood as American hippie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that accurate? Yeah, I think it is. But there was a bit of a feeling for... Santa Fe is pretty hippie. It's very, we moved there when I was nine. There are a lot of, it's very spiritual too. It's one of this very few places in the world where everyone who moves there often says, oh, I moved here because the energy here is so great. And you don't really say that about most places. I'm that not, is very American. I'm not super hippie. spiritual, but I grew up in a very spiritually aware climate, let's say. We're <laughs> <laughs> so noisy. Little sound effects. Yeah, she's waking up. She's such a slow riser, my daughter. My son was always bing when he was awake. He was up and ready to look around, and she is not. <laughs> but so from your childhood, there is an understanding of nature, potentially yeah, a feeling definitely. for being part of a a broader cosmos yeah definitely but sustainability sustainability the word itself not at all no it's a pretty new phrase I think a pretty new term and it's definitely being misused (laughs) I don't think anyone deserves to use that word sustainability what about the sustainability editor (laughs) it's no it's not accurately used really because to be sustainable would mean to make zero impact zero not just a reduced impact, but zero impact on the environment. At what point did you start to think, I want to educate myself radically and seriously and in a deep way about fashion's impacts on the planet? I think I realised that that was the one thing that was left to be excitable about fashion. 
that fashion has redone everything. You know, we do the 80s every now and again. We do the 60s every now and then. We do, you know, and I just thought, what is going to be exciting in fashion? I am in this industry. I do need to love what I do. I'm not going to switch careers because modeling has gone so well and I've been so lucky and I'm so grateful and it's not finished yet. So I need to bring something into my career that is going to make me really feel the drive of life. And I stumbled across sustainability. It really was that simple. And the more I learned, the more I realized, hold on a minute, this is so interesting. And it became very natural and, shall we say, organic and organic. Another one of those words. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, that was that. Four years ago, I started meeting the key players of sustainability in fashion in London, who are Nina Morenzi of The Sustainable Angle, Ursula de Castro, Fashion Revolution, and Jessica Sweden of Synchronicity Earth. They're all doing incredible things to help the industry. But hang on, did you not also watch a TED Talk about whale poo? I did watch a TED Talk about whale poo. <laughs> that was way more recent, though. I didn't find that one immediately. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good because it really isolates why we can't just think about everything in an insular way. That The woman on that talk says she named it whale, about whale poo because she wanted to explain that whaling was harmful. We all know that we should stop whaling because we don't want the whales to die. But she brought it further and said another reason why we should have stopped whaling that we can now talk about is that when the whales die, they don't poo anymore. <laughs> if they're not there, they can't poo. And so much life was sustained off of whale poo. All the krill, all the tiny little things in the water that then feed, they're the bottom of the food chain. They feed everything else indirectly. Traffic cascades. Exactly. And also that idea that you raised before we started recording of interconnectivity and that yeah. whole... Exactly. So that's why know. I loved that TED Talk, was that she really gave us such a great example. And when I hear things like that, it makes me realize, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. So how many other things are there that I hadn't thought about? And I think there's very much I haven't thought about, to be honest. <laughs> there's so many Okay, things. hang on, rewind, because I feel like listeners are still going to hunger for your backstory. So hmm. you were growing up in in this kind of archetypal, mm-hmm. riding slightly horses. hippie environment. I love horses. I was riding horses. I had my own beautiful horse who was wonderful. And then... And I went to a Waldorf school, which is an unusual type of education. They I don't are know what that is. they're all over the world. They're in in England. They're called Steiner schools. Oh yeah, they're exactly the same. In America, they're called Waldorf schools for some reason. And uh, like the salad, st- well, like the salad or the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were started by a man called Rudolf Steiner, who was a uh, European. Who he wrote thousands of lectures and hundreds of books on what he saw the world needed. From such a subtle point of view, I almost wish he were more kind of pushy about his ideas because most of them are really, really interesting and really brilliant and we should have a look at them. One of them is biodynamic farming, which I am fascinated by and really interested in learning more about. I always go to volunteer on biodynamic farms whenever I can and I bring my son with me who's nine and he loves it. We have the best time. These farmers are the most intelligent people I've ever met and I do think farming is the most noble job that anyone could have. And I wish that we could all dream to be farmers again. But hang on, I keep yanking you back on this track of fashion because you didn't become a biodynamic farmer. You became a face of Prada. 
Yes, I did. You became a person who opens Chanel shows. Mm-hmm. You became a Vogue cover girl. Mm-hmm. I remember when you were on the 2011 Vogue Australia cover. Mm-hmm. I think there were three different covers. Yeah, I think there were. And I remember being like, oh, she's so cool. They were you nice were pictures, very those. buzzed about really, model at that like time. That. Still are. But yeah. then that was the moment. Yep. I had no idea what modeling was. Absolutely no idea. Even well into my career. Even now? A couple of years later, didn't know at all what it was. Now I'm kind of wrapping my head around it, <laughs> luckily. But, but what happened? How did you become that model? Because were you scouted um, by... I became a model. I'd modeled a little bit as a teenager, but it didn't go very well. I was in LA and doing bridal things and really small stuff. And it wasn't really going anywhere. Then I got pregnant. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to be chubby forever now. I won't model again. That's fine. How old were you? I was 19. 19. Yeah, 19. And then when I was 21, I wasn't chubby anymore. I was like, ah, so maybe I should try. Maybe I should try because if I don't give it a go, then I might always wonder, what if? But did that pregnancy derail you career-wise? I mean, you didn't go to college. But I wasn't going to go to college anyway. I would say modeling derailed me from a career path from a university track point of view, not the pregnancy. But a pregnancy definitely can as well. Both things can. (laughs) But then you went back to being a model and you were rapidly very successful. I mean... Yeah, I gave myself six months. I said, I'm going to try modeling for six months. My son was one. I said, I'm going to model from when he's one to one and a half. And if it goes well, then I'll continue. And if it doesn't go well, I'm not going to just stay in New York with an expensive apartment trying to make it work for years. I'm going to actually do something totally different with my life. And I probably would have gone to live on a farm is probably what I would have gone to do, actually. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think I would have, because my mom lives in Massachusetts and there are incredible small farms around there. Incredible. These are the ones that we go and volunteer on. So you're a horsey or an ex-horsey girl who loves farms and thinks farming is the most noble profession. You were a young mum when most of your peers would have been running out to parties. What were your memories of that time? I then did run out to parties quite a bit anyway, which was good. I'm glad, I'm really glad I had that because it is important to do that to be social in your early 20s and so that was fun and I had a great time doing it I was exhausted I was so tired because my friends would all sleep in and I would wake up at seven with my baby (laughs) or my my young child at that point but it worked you know it worked it was fine we have more energy when you were a kid don't you I'm not sure about that (laughs) I feel like I have more energy now do you feel like there's a sweet spot kind of in the middle Yeah, I have way more mental capacity right now, now that I'm 30. You're also, I know it's dangerous to put people on pedestals and start talking about superwomen. I don't want to do that. However, Mm, I have been, no, no, but I have been like quite gobsmacked by how dynamic you are with Sai, who's only at the time of recording two and a half months old. Mm. You know, you are running around, going Mm. to events, bringing her. It's all about organization. I feel like the people who get called superheroes and superwomen, which again, I don't really like that either because it's not true. And often often they burn out two years later and you're like, oh, And it makes people feel like, oh, I can't do that. What's wrong with me? No, no, exactly. It's It's not great to label people like that. But organization, I know I get really tired. So I need to plan around that. Now, when I go on a trip with her, I leave a whole day afterwards as a rest day. Mm. And I just rest and I nap when she does and I sleep in when she does. And I, you know, it's, I know I need that because she's young and because I'm making milk for her and I can't stop making milk for her. And I will if I exhaust myself. So it's about organization and 
it's amazing to take this time also at the end of a pregnancy and at the beginning of your baby's life to just be with the baby. It's so beautiful and it goes by so quickly. On a second child, you realize that even more, that they do, they grow up. You were actually going to nip off to Switzerland to a biodynamic I farming was. conference this afternoon. I was. I was. There's an annual biodynamic farming conference and I was so excited to Your go. little case is packed with little hats for sight at the door. <laughs> but you decided not to go. Now I raised yeah. that because we talked about how it's not possible to do everything. No, it's not possible to do everything. And I realized that there is a balance. There is a balance and the balance can be tipped. And I didn't want to be alone in a hotel room risking postnatal depression <laughs> because I'd overdone it. But I guess my question is, where are you trying to find that balance with your work? Because you are mm. focused so clearly on sustainability and using your platform to start conversations around that yes, and by educating yourself. What Modeling you s- now opens so many doors for me that I really want to walk through which is fantastic to have this. If I were just interested in sustainability but not a model, I wouldn't have so many doors opening for me. Now, what's really important is that I know my stuff when I get through those doors and that I can actually follow through. And so I am being really careful to make sure that I can prove myself and not just not be flaky. Not This is a lifelong passion. I wouldn't have made this so public if it weren't going to last. So what do you see your role as? I see my role as part an educator, but not just an awareness builder. The time for awareness building is over. We know. We know what the problems are, and we know that they are problems. I think it is the time for action now. I am finding out what my actions will be. I now know a lot about what it's like to start a fashion brand, because I went through the steps of starting a luxury women's wear brand last year. Decided not to press go at the last minute, because I didn't want to get stuck in the cycle of creating something new every season, which is the cycle of fashion. I didn't grow up dreaming to be a designer. And so I, I, I think I'm going to have a wider and broader impact sustainability-wise in my in- industry if I collaborate, do design collaborations with brands where we use their pieces, their iconic pieces that work. We know I don't want to test myself as a designer. I want to test sustainable materials I want to know that they do work and I do know that they do work we are I've worked with enough of them now to know which works and which don't not all of them work I'll be very honest there are plenty that do not live up to their conventional counterpart and that is a problem and we need to make sure that all sustainable materials do live up to their conventional counterparts which is possible Some of the materials that are being tested as potential fashion solutions, like you say, they don't always work. Like to me, and you know, I don't want to be critical of practitioners who are doing interesting things in the art space, but to me, knitting out of seaweed, you're not going to wear it. No, probably not. Or if the leather alternatives are too stiff or they're too... Mm. Yeah, no, it needs to be... I'm very realistic and practical when it comes to all these things, and there are plenty of things that I wouldn't put on a list. Why are you so interested in materials? Because I think materials are the foundation to a sustainable fashion industry. If we are not healthy in our materials, we will never be healthy in the whole industry. It's the and for materials, I don't just mean I mean all the raw materials, all the materials including dyes, tanning agents, mordants for dyes, including all of the chemicals. Those are the materials as well that we use. If we don't sort that situation out, we have no chance. And I say that with a broad grin because we will, we will sort it out. There are so many solutions. It's incredible. And this is what I love about sustainability. 
You mentioned that you see part of your role as collaborating, whether it be with brands or... <laughs> now we're getting smiles. Now she's awake and she's smiling. But also other designers. Tell us about the work that you've done with Sustainable Angle curating those showcases. Mm. So with the Sustainable Angle this year, I, together with my friend Rebecca Corbin-Murray... Who is? She is a stylist who is wonderful because she has been putting a lot of her time and resources toward finding sustainable fashion and supporting sustainable fashion. We curated a space at the Fabrics Expo to show not just fabrics, but what they can be turned into by brands who are turning them into fantastic pieces of fashion. And what I love is that those pieces were, some were a bit crazier than others, but a lot seemed really commercializable to me. And that's what is really important about sustainability is that we don't just make sustainability a one-off piece for either a celebrity or made by a student for a show that falls apart after the show. It's really important that this is something that everyone can and will wear. <laughs> I'm laughing at my child, who is really interested in the white wall behind us. She's at that point in her life. <laughs> yeah, she's What's she wearing? She is wearing organic cotton tights. I would like to say she's wearing alpaca booties. I did all my sustainable baby research. Organic cotton onesie. And on top of it, for, this is not organic cotton, but this is from a very socially responsible brand that I love called La Coqueta. Started by a Spanish mother of five who lives in London and now makes a beautiful baby range in uh, Spain supporting Spanish craftsmanship. And also she makes a lot out of wool. And wool is one of those materials that is far more inherently sustainable than most other materials. So wool and lamb to eat as well. Do you eat meat? I do, yes. I have not in the past and I do because I feel better eating meat. What are you wearing? I am wearing recycled wool jumper from Designers Remix ah, in Copenhagen, yeah. as we were talking about earlier. And from Mango's Committed Collection, a pair of black slacks that I love. There's a very high waist. I need a high waist. I feel better. <laughs> oh, and felted slippers from Lithuania. So, so huge. They look like I'm wearing indoor clogs. <laughs> indoor clogs are where it's at. Has your research and your work in this space changed the way that you dress? Yes, it has. It's changed the way that I dress and the way that I shop. It, ch it changes your desires. The more you know, the more you will make different decisions. You just will. I don't deny myself anything. When I want something, I get it. But I generally don't want anything <laughs> if, it's, if it's not a healthy, it doesn't have a healthy history. She's very funny done. facial expressions. Very funny. Oh my gosh, her facial expressions change all the time. Every two seconds, they're a different one. It's funny, my husband is the best at imitating them. Imagine. A grown man with a beard <laughs> imitating a baby's face and movements because she's wiggling her feet all the time and her legs and her arms are going crazy. And she, it's so funny. It's so funny. Has being a mum, obviously you have an older son, is Nico? Nine. Nine. Yeah, he's nine and a half. Obviously your embracing of sustainability and fashion has come a little bit more recently, but mm. has how has being a mum and feeling that responsibility to the next generation impacted how you feel about this area, but also how you, what sort of choices you want to make to live? 
it definitely does impact. Although I had my son when I was 20, really before my adult life began. So I don't know the difference really. I think I've always just, he's just always been there. <laughs> We've always been together. So I wouldn't say that having a baby now has changed how I think about things. It's not so much to me as the next generation. I think of the planet Earth as a whole long, long, long lifetime. And so when I hear people say, oh, but I'm going to keep this for 30 years, it's like, hmm, 30 years is a blink of an eye. A blink of an eye. And then that will be thrown away. Even if three generations used it. What? Really? So to me, it's really important not to make things only that will last a long time. That's not enough on its own. They need to be made from materials that at the end of life of the garment or the bag or whatever it is, they will be nutritive to the environment, which means imagine a leather bag that is tanned with vegetable tanning methods, with non-toxic tanning methods, so that it can biodegrade and it has a lining that is also biodegradable. That bag is actually going to create nutrients if you compost it. If we have the systems in place in which to dispose of it, in mm. inverted commas, systems, responsibly. Systems like a field. <laughs> we can't all go do we have those bags? systems in place <laughs> quick right. get those systems in place <laughs> do you imagine us with an army of us with shovels digging <laughs> holes in our back gardens and putting in our completely toxic free t-shirts and hoping that they will biodegrade well they would that's the thing that we wouldn't need to hope they it's a would. nice idea Arizona but think about the mountains of clothing <sighs> that we've seen when we talk about clothing waste mm. and about the speed of consumption absolutely have you seen how quickly a compost pile devours what you put on it it's so quickly because it's so rich in bacteria it's like a pile of little nunus eating everything which is perfect perfect for the for decomposing nutritive waste as long as it is nutritive made of natural materials with non-toxic finishes and things like that very important when we were preparing this you actually sent me questions which i have to say is the first in the history of this podcast and i quite you said loved you were it. rushed and you were busy today and you hadn't you, finished making your own questions. yeah and to clarify they were sent in a beautiful way not in a kind of controlling way but they were also <laughs> awesome questions one of those questions was about greenwashing why mm. did you want to be asked about that and i'm just thinking in terms of just to flip it back to what you were saying before, that maybe one of the ways that we greenwash, although I hadn't thought of it until you said it, is that idea of saying, ah, well, we design for longevity. Mm. Greenwashing is so dangerous because we all do it. I'm sure I've done it along the way too. It's so easy to be a greenwasher without knowing it. You don't have to be evil to greenwash. It's not something that you necessarily do on purpose. It's when you share information that you just learned and, oh, yesterday I learned that it sounds so cool, but imagine like a t-shirt that it has algae on it and it makes uh, oxygen and, and you just, you, you might not be telling the information in a true way because you didn't know it well enough. You don't know where the algae comes from. Is the algae then going to be grown in a sustainable way? Did you think of that? Or... Just all these things that we have to be so careful about as we're educating, because the information that we share is education and but people are listening. Brands often do it in a more cynical way where they just want to have a good marketing story. Of course. I mean, you can be a deliberate greenwasher as well, which is even worse. But I wanted to highlight that even if you're not doing it deliberately, it still can be greenwashing. So please be so careful with information that you share. And research it. I really encourage everyone. It's fascinating. The more you look into something, the more you learn about it. But I guess it's often down to using those very cliched words because they seem to be universally positive. If we say something's organic, if we say mm -hmm. it's sustainable, then, oh, everything's fine. 
Mm. Yeah, so sustainability has been used way too easily and widely, especially to describe an entire brand. To describe an entire brand as sustainable is really big. And I think that it would be better to describe brands who are trying to become sustainable or doing some, some things that are sustainable is more accurate. We all need to know more. You also suggested that I ask you, mm. who are you learning from? Who are the most inspirational people in this space? And you mentioned scientists and you said, they don't shout the loudest, so we don't tend to listen as much. Mm. Yeah. Often scientists are there doing their research and they're relatively unheard of in the fashion industry. Fashionistas don't really check in on science. And I really suggest we change because science is fascinating. Scientists are really interesting. And that's where the information is. What are you reading right now? I'm reading Turning the Tide on Plastic by Lucy Siegel. And I am reading Regenerating Agriculture, Policies and Practice for Sustainability and Self-Reliance by Jules N. Pretty. You are actually giving yourself like an education. I am really giving myself an education. Yeah, I really am. And then I really do find TED... TED Talks are so educational and also the way they're structured. If you haven't watched TED Talks, try because they're really inspirational. I, I always focus on environmental because that's a big section. Climate change, there are so, if you search climate change on TED, that's a great resource. There are studies, there's the study section of TED, which isn't just talks, but has text with talks, with other links to other articles. You also suggested to me that I ask you, are governments doing enough? And I was like, well, that's a big question. <laughs> if I were a government, <laughs> and I, I know that saying that is, is a ridiculous thing to say because I do have a lot of respect for politicians and people who went to political science schools and it's a lot to learn and a lot to know and I certainly don't understand how government policy works. I just know that right now it's not doing enough in the fashion industry and there's potential for a lot more regulation to come in and to come in quickly and to expedite the change that the industry wants to do and isn't sure how to do. I want to come back to influence. Mm. So as a model, you have a platform, you have visibility, mm. people know your face, people who are interested in fashion remember your pictures. Mm. So with that comes power and you're obviously using it to try to steer this conversation. Why don't you think more people do it? You're quite rare. I should just say shout out to Lily Cole, who is, has been on this podcast and we'll share a link, and to Amber Valletta. Yeah. But yeah. there aren't any more that I can think of. And um, designers are actually not particularly oh. vocal in this space either. No, they're not. I actually f used to feel that me as a model and me as an interested person in sustainability were two quite separate things. And now I'm realizing that they're not and I can bring them together. But that didn't come immediately to me that, oh, be, thank God I'm a model because now I can do this. It wasn't really, I didn't put them together like that. I mean, you can look at my Instagram historically. I haven't posted really anything until very, very recently about sustainability and about what my interests were. I think I'm quite cautious. I don't, I don't like to blab about something before I know enough about it really or before otherwise I feel like an imposter I get imposter syndrome all the time <laughs> like no 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 surely someone else can do this better surely someone else is more qualified than I am <laughs> so and this is a serious question why do it because it is intimidating or it can be and hmm. it might be easier not to but it I'm interested I'm so interested and this is what I love learning about and I love doing it and I desperately want to do it this is this is draw I'm experiencing real ambition right now 
this is something that I didn't experience around modeling. I never felt this way about modeling. I, my attitude was, well, let's see what happens. Okay, it's going well, I'll keep going. This is a totally different story. And I'm starting a company to consult sustainability for brands in fashion and also across other sectors, hopefully as well. That's the beautiful thing about sustainability is it's not limited just to fashion. And the skill set is similar for other industries as well. So that's really exciting. I'm bringing together a team to do this, to, go, to be able to go into a company and explain what needs to change in order to be on a sustainable path. And I'm curious and I like to get to the bottom of things. I'm not satisfied with surface information. And I really do like information a lot. I find it very exciting and I want more of it. You're when I get a, nerd. a bit of it. Yeah. Maybe I In am. In a good a bit, way. Yeah. I think if that's what a nerd is, then I'm definitely that. <laughs> Love. Thank you very much for joining us, Arizona Muse. Thank and you, Claire. A little munchkin sigh. Thank Our you. youngest ever podcast guest. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She had a lot to say. <laughs> she had a lot to say. Oh, it's getting hard. My parents feel that. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. To learn more about our guests and the issues that we've spoken about today, hop on over to my website, which is clairepress.com forward slash podcast. You can get in touch there and I really hope you will. I'd love to hear from you. And you can also find links to my social media. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please head over to iTunes and subscribe. You know what they say, first in, best dressed. Subscribers are first to find out when there's a new episode and it also helps other people discover wardrobe crisis, so I'd love your help with that. Because the more people who switch on to ethical fashion, the better. Music is by Montaigne. She recorded this special acoustic version of Because I Love You, which is from her Glorious Heights album, especially for Wardrobe Crisis. How good is that? Thank you, Montaigne. Because I love you.